My name is Michael Williams. I used to work for Much Music. I think I'm one of the record holders, if not the record holders, in terms of years that I was on the air there. Uh, Much Music, City TV, and I was also on Chum FM. Before that, I had a rather interesting life as well. But Much Music is uh, what the film is about, and uh, I'm on this podcast, and uh, that's Greg, and that's Kareem, and it's called Welcome to the music with Greg and Kareem. My name is Michael Williams. Welcome to the show. <laughs> right on. Thanks. Michael, welcome, 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 welcome. It's honestly, it's an honor to have you on with us. Um, the, the, the first question I have to ask is talk about your much music days is mm-hmm. and we, we ask this of anybody who has a mutual friend with us with this person or who has a mutual friend with us as a person. Um, do you have any juice on Erica M that we can <laughs> hold over her at any point? Uh, okay, some juice over Erica M. <laughs> Uh well I do but that's going to be in the book okay, oh, okay. So, <laughs> then we'll I wait do. for the book I, I have some really good juice uh about the first time that we met because she oh. doesn't remember the first time that we actually met oh. and uh we both uh, worked at the uh uh we both worked at the same radio station in Montreal Shom FM and uh I'm from Montreal she's from Montreal I never knew her before I came to Toronto and uh, I met her here. And when I came into Much Music, when I came into City TV on the whichever floor at 99 Queen Street West, uh, East, yes, East, uh, where they started out at the original City TV building, uh, she was behind the desk and she was working and booking talent. And that's where I sort of met her face to face for the very first time. But we did meet over the phone and um and you know so there you go that's as much as i can give you okay that's but, cool we will know, wait it's, for the- it's a little something something there yeah. but uh, all right we will we will wait for the book and coincidentally and i have i have i have busted on this a few times she also doesn't remember the first time she and i met which was back at the it was might have been the diamond i don't know if it was the phoenix at the time it was the rock express or music express awards Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there. The Tragically Hip had just played. We were also being mm-hmm. managed by Jake Gold at the time. And, and she came up and Jeff had like flowing long brown hair. And she thought that we that Jeff and I were with the Tragically Hip. And she came up and said how much she loved us and loved the show and everything else that night. And uh, okay. so to this day, right. to this day, I bring it up whenever I can. <laughs> and, uh, Excuse me. Do you want me to sign that album too? <laughs> that was that yes. was the next. That was the next move. That was the next move, and uh, you know, would you like to come up and hear my demos? <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On when, to the serious stuff now. <laughs> when when did Sean approach you about about this documentary, and how did he pitch you on why he wanted you, or you know, your thoughts on that? Uh, Erica called me and left okay. me a message saying that this project was going on and she was working with this fellow, Sean, uh, Sean Bernard, and uh, that I should uh, 
get involved in the project. We had all been involved with the project with Steve Anthony sort of working on a much music radio show, mm -hmm. similar to what the uh, VJs and MTV did, but a lot late, like way too late. And we worked on it for seven years and nothing actually ever came of it, uh, for, oh. unfortunately, because we all spent a lot of time on it. And I don't know where those archives are, but Steve has them. It was interesting because it was the first time that we were all in the same room together uh, since oh. Much Music. Uh, or sense a much music party, really, <laughs> you know, uh, and because uh, that would be the time when we would see each other around the holidays and stuff like that. Other than that, we were on our own shifts. So she called and said, uh, do you want to get involved with this? And I said, no. <laughs> and uh, and I got another call and I said, no. And then I said, okay, well, let me look at it uh, because it was sort of part of the program knowing that eventually a documentary would happen. And unless I was going to do it, I would have to participate in someone's, someone else's. And uh, I get calls a lot now because everybody's trying to discover the history of black music and various mm. forms of music. And I get calls by people and I mostly say, I've said no to most of them because I looked at the scripts <laughs> and, uh, okay. it was, and uh, like that, there was no script to this. So I said, I guess I need the people. Sean and his producer came out to Starbucks. This was like in the middle of pandemic time or last year year of pandemic time yeah. so it's a while ago i guess it's about a year or two years now that uh, they approached me on this so i said i will meet with you at starbucks went up to my local starbucks we're all masked up and everything and one of the things that sean says was that well um starting this i really didn't know who you were and uh what you do and i said you're not winning me over now really okay <laughs> and uh and we went on to talk and we talked for quite a while. Um, yeah. I can be quite exhaustive and quite thorough in my diligence or my due diligence on something that I'm going to do outside of the realm of much music because there you felt taken care of. You, you had a whole team that you worked with. You had a system. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, an end goal or an output that you were hoping for. This was kind of like a wild card because, you know, it's uh, a film. It could be great or it could suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not making it. It could suck. Yeah. No one that I knew is making it. It could suck. I don't know. You know, uh, there hasn't been any uh, documentaries done on much music and uh, there hasn't even been the attention really paid to it that I think it deserves in okay. educational institutions and all that stuff, let alone we haven't received our damn Order of Canada yet that we each get a little piece of. Um, mm. I understand Denise got a Don uh, Denise Donlin got an Order of Canada, but she didn't offer to split that with us. So <laughs> I think we have to get our own here. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, I'm sitting with him and his uh, his producer. Nice fellows. I, I like them as human beings. They were they were quite interesting. And uh, his producer knew exactly who I was and exactly what I did. So, but it didn't exactly make up for Sean's lack of you know lack thereof. And yeah. then he said, "Has I as the meeting continues, says as I." begin to research this your name kept coming up and i went oh really <laughs> you know duh, you know and uh and i'm going yeah and uh and his wife was quite a a, a big fan of mine and had watched a lot of the things and kind of grew you know it's uh, I'm in a fortunate position where at least three generations of can Canadians have wow. grown up with me 
and music, three to four, if you include Montreal. So, because I was on Shome FM and CKGM in Montreal, I wrote for the Sunday Express, and I had quite a, a musical footprint and profile there in Montreal, which I was very happy with. We would only come down to Toronto for the Junos, and uh, and then we would always leave as soon as possible because <laughs> uh, it was Toronto, and we're from Montreal, and yeah. we had the Canadians, and when you walk into the Montreal Forum from one end to the other, there are pennants and stuff like that so you know already i'm in a disadvantage here yeah yeah <laughs> and um so as the meeting continues really really nice guys and uh but still i you know i'm still i'm still at no <laughs> I'm really still at no yes okay. because i'm just very careful with what i do uh after much music because Okay. I don't know. I'm always working with foreign entities. Much mm -hmm. music was not, you know, yeah, I knew yeah. exactly what was, what could happen there. Uh, good, bad or indifferent. And so I was ready for that. I didn't know if I was ready for this. Then he says one thing to me that really um, protected uh, his commitment and my commitment to what I did and what I do. Yeah. He said that I put up my house to do this. And I went, now oh. that's, I said, now that's rock and roll. I can yeah. get behind that because yeah. that's what I do with everything I do, man. It's all or nothing. It's all out. And it's, you know, uh, you know, what did Judas Priest say? You got another thing coming. Come on. <laughs> you know, this was rock and roll at its highest order. And, uh, that kind of commitment is the type of commitment that somebody joins a band for. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or writes that one great song for and stuff like that. What are you going to do? I'm going to put the house and sell the farm, man. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this rock and roll thing or this soul thing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do music, but I believe in it. That told me he believed in it, you know, as much yeah. as I did. Yeah. At that point I said, yes. And, uh, we kind of been, you know, We've been talking about it ever since. Um, I He came to my studio. Um, and the other thing about the film, too, is that there were no there were no new videos or video tracks of us or or shooting of our images or anything like that. There was my voice and there was all the stuff that I did for Much Music Days, which I have yeah. absolutely no problem with yeah. or about anything that I did on Much Music, anything. So I was good with that. And I was good with being interviewed and reflecting on that. Yeah. And putting myself in the frame of mind of the time that I did those things. I didn't see the clips, but I suggested a few things to him, like my very first day at Much Music, where I introduced Run. I not only interviewed um, Run DMC, whom I had known, and Rockbox on that very first album was a hit in Montreal because I made it a hit. I played the shit out of it on my show, which was uh, Club 980 CKGM, which was like some... 40 41 42 years ago and the first huh. network show the first real radio show not college radio that played uh hip-hop and a variety of music but uh definitely we played hip-hop and we also played the hip-hop that we were playing was like you know this goes back to the days of wild style because 
I did the premiere of Wild Style in Montreal with Charles Ahern. Great hip hop. The quintessential hip hop film was Wild Style. And so we came out of that era. And uh great film. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you don't have the soundtrack, get it. Check out Stoop Rap, the Cold Crush Brothers. I mean, it is the genesis. It was the genesis of hip hop film for sure. So um I was doing this show called Club 980 slash Soul in the City. So Soul ah. in the City was a radio show. It wasn't a television show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't meant to be a television show, but I made it into a, a television show. But it started out has a, and everybody here does a couple hours of radio, this, that, and the other. You can listen to as much black music, funk or soul or hip hop, uh, between Friday night at midnight and Sunday night at midnight. That was the vibe here in Toronto and Montreal. We were blasting 24 seven in English wow. and French. And, uh, my show was a six hour show on Saturday from six to midnight. So on Saturdays, I would do the equivalent of, I do about 13 hours of radio every Saturday. I would start at about 10 or 11 and I would go to. I do like a five, six hour shift, you know, on Saturday at CK at Shom FM, which is the rock and roll powerhouse of Montreal, but also the nation at one point in time. And I'd be there doing the, the morning show to the afternoon. I get off probably about four o'clock. So I do about 10 or 11 to four. I go have dinner for an hour across the street. Then I go grab my records in the back. Two mil, two seal test cartons of records and my 45s because I've always been a DJ club and radio and, um, since I was a kid, you know, so that takes it back to like 1960 something, you know, uh, 67, 68. And, um, I would take my records out of my car, put them in the studio go to the bathroom, come into the studio, and I would spontaneously combust for six hours. I wouldn't go in with an, I go in with a little bit of an idea, but I had just hit the record store on Saturday morning or, or Friday. I just hit the importer, my buddy Cass, and I would unload his van so I would get brand new records, you know, and I wow. was there with Robert. We met Michelle Kadash, Michelle Samard, DJ Mario, all of the DJs in Montreal. On Thursday or Friday, we would meet at a place called Pierre Music, outside of Pierre Music, right around the corner in front of Rock and Stock. My friend Cass, who was the main importer, would pull up his truck so I could get free records because I couldn't afford them. So I could get free records. I would unload his truck and help him organize it so he could sell his product. Then he'd turn around and give me singles. That's how I got a copy of UB40, Food for Thought and Kings, when it was on the 45, when it had just come out. Um, from, uh, the album that gave you one in 10. I guess it was the debut, UB40. And, uh, so that's how I would get my music, but also record companies would give me music. I would buy music from Pure Music. Then I got sponsors for the music and stuff like that. And I would always follow my dear late friend, the greatest Canadian DJ, club DJ ever from 1977 when he was voted from Billboard magazine the DJ of the year because he was the one who turned over just sit down and talk about it and play the first man in the world to play on 45 he'd take two 45s and rock the shit out of it um i feel loved by donna summers Mm. he made that a hit that song is sort of synonymous with montreal his name is robert we met the great robert we met just a wonderful dj and he played at the limelight in montreal which was like the it was like mecca 
for uh, mm. for DJs and also for dancers because it was three floors. First floor, gay leather bar. Be careful, the chaps have no ass in them. Okay, <laughs> uh, there are lots of motorcycles out front. First time I went there, I thought, oh, biker bar. Yeah, motorcycles out front and stuff like that. Guy gets off the bike, turns around. Whoa, hey, that's all ass. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first floor. Second floor was public and pedestrian, and the normal people could go there off the street and tourists. Yeah. Third floor was where Robert was broadcasting down to the other two floors mm -hmm. and the third floor. He was up there in a booth where he used uh, stage gear. He used like big, like, you know, he used, he had a sound system in there with the 24 track Yamaha console, three turntables. The setup was like the most superior DJ setup in the country, and the place was just rocking. It was gay, straight, strange, and so much fun. It was just ridiculous. And so that's what I would do. I would finish wow. at midnight. I would go to the clubs. I worked at 1234. I was a mobile DJ in Montreal. I was a journalist. In Montreal, I had much more work than I had in Toronto, and I've always loved it. And Montreal is where I came from. So basically, when I came down to do much music, I brought all of that with me. And I lived in Montreal for about a year and a half to two years for my first two years of much music so i would come down work for four or five days go back to montreal for four or five days oh. you know and uh so i'd have a like a pied de terre that i would stay at a friend's house is always scotland and um uh who was the person who actually introduced me to my manager that got me at much music catherine mccartney who worked with and uh. managed john candy and al waxman and I said, they make a wow. lot more money than I do. So, yeah, talk to me. <laughs> you know? And uh, um, so uh, that was that was kind of it. You know, I mean, that very first day I do walk in and I do run DMC. We got the video on Rockbox. Great. Let's go. And then Lou Reed walked in and uh, wow. his best friend was uh, is a good friend of mine garland jeffries and a good friend of montreal's he's like last time garland performed in montreal there were a hundred thousand people in the street right. and uh his song his legendary song for montrealers would be spanish town off the ghostwriter album if you don't have the ghostwriter album get that in your collection forthwith and uh everything that you can but start with ghostwriter and uh wild in the streets and all that and from there you will uh you'll be quite happy so he was um uh, Lou's best friend and Lou was in a bad mood you don't oh. want Lou Reed in a bad mood you know what I mean you could get shot you could get stabbed you could get beat up just be he looks at you and you just go oh hey 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 it's a, who turned the sun on right and uh and I whispered in his ear I said hey how's Garland he says you know Garland Jeffries and I said yeah I know Garland we're real good friends at that point we were cool and I realized New York and New York, Run DMC, uh -huh. Lou Reed, this is the spirit of New York. And it was also the breath of music that I wanted to cover, even though I cover more with jazz and classical and whatever else and Quebecois music and country. Mm -hmm. And if it's music, I do it. I don't have a problem with it. And if I can feel it, I can play it as well or produce it or work with it. Um, I like the authenticity of music and I also, I, I go for that. I go mm -hmm. for that. If I'm recreating it, if I can make the creators proud with what I've done, then I'm, I'm happy. You know, if I can interpret yeah. their feeling correctly and their mind. So I, uh, 
I said, well, um, Lou, do you know Run DMC? No. Run DMC, do you know Lou? No. Hollis Queens, meet Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, or, or downtown New York. And meet did you the do this Godfather. On, like, did you what? do this, like, on TV? Like, did you get them both on at the same time? I'm not that sure. That would have been a cool if conversation. Uh, if there, I'm not sure if there's footage on this. I did it right. I There were cameras around. Yeah. I was too busy. I had just finished Run DMC. They came over. I brought them over. I'm not sure if that part is on camera. I would imagine that somebody would have went, hey, this is cool. But people barely knew Run DMC at the time. Okay. They all knew Lou Reed. I think um, he had come back and we had done some stuff with uh, with him. We did a live concert with him later on. Uh, but I'm not sure if that part is on camera. So you got me telling you about it, and that's got to be good enough. That's good. Stuff. Perfect. 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 <laughs> I, I have a question for you, Michael. I, I think so. There's a band that I'm a massive fan of, and they played a show opening for somebody in Toronto. First time I saw them. Um, was not expecting what I saw. And then the next time they came to town, and I think you were at the show because it was all industry, all musicians. It was at the Sibony. Remember the Sibony in uh, Kensington? Oh, the Sibony at Kingston. Uh, no, in, I don't know. In Kensington, Kensington Market. No, in Kensington Market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Sibony. Kensington Market. I, I've never been to the Sibony, though, I don't think. It was Living Colors' first headlining show in Toronto. Maybe you uh, weren't there. I, I thought uh, you were. I mean, I was Get, at, Getty and Alex were like, it was, it was, uh, it was a either a musician or a who's who or an industry night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what what I wanted to to ask was, you know, your thoughts, your your views on Living Color, and I know you mentioned earlier that people always oh. ask about Black music history, but just like I'd love for you to share yes. some thoughts before we finish. Well, up. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I um, I've been working in music for about forty some odd years or more. It began for me when I was a kid, so. Uh, but really, when I was a kid, we're talking, you know, I'm, as Eddie Money would say, when the DJ said there was more music coming your way, I was the kid with the flashlight, the comic books under the cover. And when the DJ said there was more music coming your way, I always waited. Yeah. Mm. You know, and so uh, the DJ was the law when I was a kid and the DJs were the first rappers when I was a kid, like especially listening to black radio coming out of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, WJMO, WABQ, then rock and roll radio, WNCR. It was all a part of us, by the way. Um, they have Bob Marley day in Toronto, which I was like, when's Oscar Peterson day. And, and, uh, and in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, okay. Hang on a second. In Cleveland, Ohio, we have rush day wow <laughs> we have rush day we've had rush day for a while and i grew up with rush you know uh and uh so my high school leaving song was hey babe it's a quarter to eight i think i'm in the mood mm -hmm. you know so uh it was kind of like that and so rock and roll was never a foreign entity entity to me or, or most black people because when wasn't rock and roll a black invention i'm not sure uh you know the same thing with forms of with country pretty much and and other forms of american music so uh it was i mean in my first band we were playing vehicle by the arts of march and black sabbath uh -huh. you wow. know uh yeah. as well as 
as well, you know, we didn't need to be told to play James Brown. We knew how to play that. You know, we were trying to figure out how to play Papa was a Rolling Stone and, and those things. And I was around the world. I grew up inside the world of music, you know, uh, so living color wasn't a, a big deal in terms of them being black and playing rock and roll at all to me. Uh, it was for everybody else. And all those musicians were there to see, uh, an incredible band, you know, led by Vernon Reed and, and Corey Glover. Uh, Muzz was in the band and Will was in the band. Will Calhoun is one of my best friends from high school. Michael Calhoun. It's his cousin. Michael Calhoun went to the Daz band. But we used to cut classes and play music together. Um, Living Color, they're friends, they're family. I remember the first time I met them wasn't at that gig at the Sibony, actually. Uh, they did play the Bamboo Club once, and they had a different singer at that time as well. Uh, and the singer that they had was, just, I can't, his name escapes me now, but he's passed. And he was just a wonderful, I mean, just a great, great singer, but I don't think it fit with the band. And uh, they obviously switched singers and got the right singer because Corey was just voted by Rolling Stone, one of the top yes. rock and roll vocalists of life, oh, which yep. was, yeah, wow. which was great, which puts him in there with Robert Plant and everybody yeah. else, yeah. which is, which is really good. There are a few other vocalists that deserve in there to be in there, but Corey, well, he's just a, a killer, just great. Uh, they are all superior musicians. They all have uh, worked in, uh, multiple music forms now with Doug Wimbish on, on bass, uh, from the Sugar Hill studio band and Tackhead and all of those things and Jamaladeen Takuma, uh, and, uh, James Blood Ulmer, those guys, uh, you know, just great. There was a great core of musicians that came out of New York that, uh, Kid Creole was a part of. And there were, and then there was this whole sort of jazz funk thing that came up and, Vernon got to play in Ronald Jackson decoding society. So they bring their, these guys are loaded for bear. Anytime they go, mm. they're really loaded for elephant. Every time they go out, yeah. uh, they don't come and get ready. They are ready. They're superior musicians uh, of any style and of any form. Um, and I work with them every chance and every opportunity that I get just the greatest band in the world, I think. And they're wow. working on a new album. <laughs> they're touring currently with Extreme. Yes. They're on their way to Australia if they haven't been yet. I think they're on their way. They're just finishing up in the western part of the U.S. Uh, great band. It's where I go to for inspiration every once in a while. And to be able to work with them and to be able to bring them to people at Much Music was great. First time I saw them, they were opening up for Rob, for Robert Palmer. That's um, the show I was talking about. That's exactly what I said. I didn't oh, want to give it away by saying it was the Palmer oh, okay. show. It was, it was Robert Palmer. Yes. And nobody was there to see them. Nope. And uh, everybody was dressed in a suit and a tie yeah. and the girls had on the little black dresses. And, my, my girlfriend uh, and my my Jeff, who I was talking earlier about Erica yeah. and our, his girlfriend, we were at the bar because we read something and I'm going to leave the, the journalist out his name. But uh -huh. from the Toronto Sun, you can figure out who it is, wrote, said stupid Jimi Hendrix ripoff cover band or whatever it was. And we're like, oh, OK, we were, yeah, out, we were out a having a guys. drink. We're out having a drink. And Jeff and I were and we had front row seats for the show. Mm -hmm. And Jeff and I were like, what the uh, check, please? And we went in and I got goosebumps, man. I, we were just yeah. like, my life yeah. changed that night.
changed. Well, that. a lot of things changed that night. So after the show, after their 45 minutes, I worked my way around to the dressing room and I opened the door of the dressing room and it looked like somebody had come in and, and it looked like Bambi versus Godzilla and your puppy and your deer had just been killed. The guys were just not happy, really. It looked like somebody oh. stole their puppy and killed it really? and hung it in the dressing room. That's what it looked like. Their faces was just like, oh, man. You know, they weren't really like, oh, Jesus. Oh. And, and I stuck my head and uh, I stuck my head in the door and I said, um, guys, they weren't here for you. They were here ah. for for Robert, and they were here for little black dresses and cocktails and stuff like this. And because that whole thing of addicted to love really just kind of, you know, it yeah. became a fashion statement at each and every show. And I said, but I was here for you. My name is Michael Williams. I work at Much Music. Here's my business card. Come see me tomorrow right at much music and we're gonna have some fun okay they came by Corey came by and uh i gave him you know some canadian music on the way out and on my desk was the dalbello cd yeah. Lisa. Yeah, yeah. i gave him lisa dalbello yeah. and to this day they want lisa dalbello every time they're in town we call her and say the band wants to work with you the band loves you they want you to write some songs with them and sing on the album anytime you feel like it you know and yeah. she has yet to respond and uh, <laughs> i i got to spend some wonderful time with her i love her to death she's like one of the uh, artists from toronto that we in montreal looked at and said yeah Come on, Mick Ronson, David Bowie, that whole connection, that sound, that Peter Gabriel thing that she was doing. And, uh, she was, she is still and has always been a wonderful songwriter. Here's a point that, uh, that will be in the book. Um, Michael Calhoun, Will Calhoun's cousin mm -hmm. in the Daz band. Uh, we went to school together. The Daz band was originally called Kinsman Daz because it was Kinsman Street and they were like the Kinsman something something band, right? Whatever. And so, uh, on their first album, they recorded a song by Lisa Dalbello called mm -hmm. Never, Never, is it, uh, uh, I, I'll Never Stand in Your Way. And, uh, she had never heard it. So I got a copy of it. I gave it to her and I talked to the band about it and they were like, Oh yeah, great song. Great. And it is their version of the song is like, it's like earth, wind and fire does Lisa Dalbello. And it's a superior product uh, produced by one of the producers of earth, wind and fire, their second album, Verdine. And um, I think it was Verdine, uh, Maurice White's brother and the keyboard player of earth, wind and fire at the time. They, I think Larry Dunn, they produced uh, the second Dazban, Kinsman Dazban album. But there was that Canadian connection, and there's been this strong Canadian connection through my life. And it's only uh, when I look at it, I think, oh, yeah, and I wound up here in Canada. This is great. <laughs> nice. So musically, there's been a, a strong, strong connection. Cleveland, Ohio was kind of the musical sister city of Montreal. Uh, so Peter Gabriel, oh. Pink Floyd, Genesis, uh, but the big band for both of us, Babe Ruth, 
Babe Ruth, the Mexican. Uh, Babe Ruth used to play bars in Cleveland and they used to play concerts in Montreal. And of course, Genesis back in the early days of Foxtrot and Nursery Crimes. I went to school. We all wanted to play this stuff. We all learned how to play this stuff or attempted to. And sonically, it uh, influenced us uh, huge. Yeah, huge. Just wow. huge. My, my, my favorite my favorite story, I don't know how much time you have for it, but I got I to... So yeah, my favorite Cleveland story. I was... In roofing, my kids were just born, early 90s kind of thing, mm-hmm. mid, mid 90s. Um, the company was out of Cleveland, worked with all these guys from across the US. You know, I'm not your typical roofing guy in sales, but you know, all mm-hmm. and uh, I'm flipping through the paper and I see this ad for a bar. It's like a bar, kind of like, kind of like the opera house kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fishbone. And I get on the phone to call him up. I'm like, is this like fishbone, fishbone? It's not like just like a fishbone cover band. No, it's fishbone. So it's we fishbone. all go down to the flats and I oh, go into yeah. this bar. I go into whatever the bar is. It's on the, the east side of the flats, right? Uh-huh. And my buds go off and they're drinking. I look at the biggest guy. As soon as fishbone hits the stage, I look at the biggest guy and I go tap him on the shoulder. I'm like, and he's like, yeah, sure. So he throws me up. I spend the whole time up there. I walk out of this show. Uh, my clothes are ripped. I'm bloody. I'm bruised. I'm everything. <laughs> Just, and again, you know what it's like at the end of the night flats, everything piles out onto the street, right? My buds just coincidentally, I happened to bump into them because I figured I was catching a cab myself back to the hotel we were staying at. And they look at me and big, all these big roof guys did who the fuck did this to you? We're going to fucking kill them. I'm like, no, man, I had a blast. And like, what do you mean you had a blast? I was at the fishbone show. I was, I was surfing the crowd the whole time. I hit the floor how many times? And they're like, you thought that was fun? I'm like, yeah. After that, they thought Canadians were crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, and the flats, because people won't really know what the flats are. The flats is the area, the industrial area. So when you leave downtown, you go down by the water, the Cuyahoga River, where all the steel and stuff comes in. So it's where all the boats pull in. They get loaded or unloaded with all the ore coming from Pennsylvania. It's kind of smelly down there. It's kind of dirty. It's kind of nasty. But what we did in Cleveland, we went to the smelly, dirty, and nasty, and we made it fun. <laughs> and so they built clubs and stuff down there. And it's a little bit like Montreal. If they throw you out of a club in the flats, you land in another club with a drink in your hand already. <laughs> and they've already taken the price of admission out of your pocket. That's the flats, baby. Yeah. And uh, and at a Fishbone show, geez, I'm surprised you didn't go to the Agora. I went to the Agora, which was the old Allen Theater, which is where WMMS used to be, the station that was a 50-year running, prize-winning rock and roll station of the year for rolling stone magazine it was it it was the perfect station it was like where kid leo on friday would say on the rock and roll station because rock and roll meant what they said it just wasn't white it wasn't black it was everything that rocked and everything that rolled soul music all included you know coltrane every once in a while that's the type of radio station that we had. And then we had jazz stations, but we had two rock stations. One was progressive rock and the other one was more street rock. And that was WMMS, which was above the Agora at the Allen Theater. And the original Agora was just, it was the rock and roll club uh, of a lifetime. Like I saw Rory Gallagher. I saw Peter Frampton there and, you know, with 500 people and we're all sitting on the floor. He had just left Humble Pie. Trapeze. Chick Korea's Return to Forever, mm. Weather Report. Mm. And you would wow. get like 
you would have trapeze opening and weather report or, or return to forever finishing. There was always that mixture of musical styles, you know, like what Bill Graham used to do at the forum. Um, I mean, not the forum, but the Fillmore in New York and LA. Uh, so there was always the cross pollination. So the same kids that listened to Rush, yeah. people that look like me also listened to, uh, weather report, Frank Zappa, Black Sabbath and also wanted to play all that music as well and might have a penchant for Virgil Fox because that was how the whole thing started back when rock and roll was free and the formats didn't control things and one station other words you have a chain of stations and they program it out of Toronto and all the stations across the country play the same thing no it wasn't like that at Show FM Show FM was owned by the great Jeff Sterling God rest his soul and a wonderful man. And he was independent, as independent could be, man. He's the guy that brought you Captain Canada. And he uh, was just a wonderful guy. And Shome was the type of station where he would walk in with his guru and say, I'm here with my guru. And I'd like you to put the microphones outside and record the dawn and play it for the listeners. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was it was that type. But it also brought the two solitudes of English and French together. And yeah. when I first came to Canada the very first time in 1972 to visit a friend and check out school because Marshall McLuhan was going to be mm. the uh, the head of the communications department before he died. That was the rumor. And mm. so I was going to check it out. Um, and it was fabulous. Montreal was just great. The music was wonderful. The people were great. Um you know, it was a microcosm of the world. So all the prejudices and all that sort of stuff kind of went with it. But in Montreal, it had a different flavor. It had a different feel. And if you could get to Montreal as an island, if you could get to shore, you were okay. You know, yeah. and if you didn't run afoul of the bikers and the gangsters, you're pretty good. I worked with most of those folks. So I was pretty <laughs> good, man. And uh, everything was gay, straight, strange, and, and wonderful there. And when I came down to Toronto to do much music, it was very different. Uh, Toronto's a very, a very different, not much of a forgiving place and not nearly as fun as Montreal. But the people in that building reminded me of Montreal, and that's why I stayed, and that's why I worked there. Nice. The one one last question for you, Michael. You oh, spent... I'm I'm good to go, man. I mean, well, listen, your your thing probably cuts off in a minute or two. So. Maybe, maybe, hopefully not. We've paid the bill, okay. I think. But <laughs> the dock is called Two Nine Nine Queen Street West. Check out Two Nine Nine Queen Street West dot com. There is a dozen plus dates. This documentary. 13 uh, we'll dates across the Canada. country, 13 yeah. dates across Canada. You can buy your tickets now on the website. Absolutely. We will all be going, whoever can and will and wants to go out and meet crowds. I'm going out to say thank you. Nice. And uh, it's a precursor to my Thank You Canada tour, which I'm hoping to do with Living Color. We're working on some tours what? to get Living Color to do a, a tour across Canada and do something real special where we can do uh, an educational thing as well as a concert thing and an all-request concert thing. And we, we're trying to do residencies across the country. Mm. So, um, you know, and we want to kind of do it in a way where we can uh, hang out and teach the music that we play, that they play, and uh, give some fellowship. It's very important for musicians wow. to have fellowship with other musicians. So we're trying to do that as well as do an acoustic show and, you know, kind of drive across Canada and, you know, and go from Newfoundland to Victoria, hopefully, 
and yeah. give a chance for people to see the band that they've never seen. And uh, and if you've never seen Living Color, they're out, like I say, they're out with Extreme right now, and that's a great package. But Living Color on their own are just absolutely fabulous. But uh, we'll be out, and worst comes to worst, I might be DJing at some of these things or after parties or stuff like All that. Right. Uh, I'm the official opening act for The Spoons. I go out and I DJ for about two hours before them. And normally to a standing ovation. And that's a lot of fun because I get to play a lot of different music. And um, it's a great time, man. It's a great time. And I think this is going to be an interesting thing. I haven't seen the film, but I'm very excited. I actually yeah. want to walk into the theater like with everybody else and see myself on a big, big screen. I've never had the privilege or the honor to do that. And this is quite a, a privilege and, a, and an honor to be in the film as much as it was a uh, privilege and an honor working at much music and uh, having influence uh, a positive influence hopefully on three generations of canadians and music fans and stuff like that i hope to be getting back to radio but i'll only do that if i can play the music that i need to and want to do yeah. and that people would expect me to play too i'm looking at sort of like a a midnight thing you know sort of a midnight to six thing across the country we're talking yeah. to everybody see if we can put it together it'd be fairly dangerous because like i say when i go <laughs> into the room it's spontaneous combustion i don't want to know what i'm going to do i just want to have the music at my fingertips and and go for it you know awesome. it's like old spirit of the radio days um yeah well no no I but mean, i mean just my, the freedom just the freedom is what oh I'm the freedom yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean and the freedom that they used to have at show fm in montreal as well you know and a lot of stations before yeah. it all became uh formatted and uh i've been out making music i did some tracks with herb alpert and sly and robbie and uh um that's out there now my name is on the cirque du soleil album alegria I produced oh. the nylons. I co-produced the nylons with my partner, uh, Brad Ralph. And uh, I produce some music every once in a while. Most people don't know that I produce engineer or play. And that's great because then people don't ask me to do things that I have absolutely no interest in doing. <laughs> <laughs> the music, I have to love it to get involved. I've got to love the people doing it. I have to almost want to be able to do it for free, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Fair I, enough. Have to, I have to love it that much. And uh the film, I'm really, really excited. And I mean, it's kind of like a love letter and a postcard to Canada saying thank you, you know, yeah. because not a lot of people really recognized um, what much music was and what we did in terms of putting a face to music in Canada. And I think what we did at much music not only changed music in Canada and the ability of who could make music bringing mm -hmm. everybody up uh but it also helped to change music in the world i think by by showing canadian music in a different light yeah. and canadian performers in a different light and showing that there was more than Anne murray there was more than the great incredible uh gordon lightfoot uh and uh i mean most people don't know rick james was here you know i mean oscar peterson rick james uh, Anne Murray, Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Young, and a multitude of other Canadian performers, uh, including Murray McLaughlin, hightailed it to the States because they had to. Well, with much music, you could start here. Yeah. You could start yeah. with us and you can start here. And all you had to do was make it there. And all of the, uh, all of the glory and all of that goes to Moses Nimer, who was the green light. Um, John Martin and Nancy Oliver, who created the new music 
and much music was a direct outgrowth of the new music and uh it was a fantastic the new music was a fantastic music journalist show that a lot of great people went through and much music was being the outgrowth of that just came bigger and bigger and we had some great people on it um i don't know what happened too much after what i when i left but i know when i was there and i was part like i was the first person that they hired outside of toronto and we did some great shit we yeah. did some absolutely outstanding great stuff and we in terms of journalists in terms of um uh how would you say the uh, mezzanine scene or the the look and the feel of it yeah so it was a in culture. terms of yeah it was a, it was a culture unto its own yeah. that started with city tv and i was always a fan of city tv i always watched city tv when i came down from university yeah. i would uh, i would watch city tv till the late hours of the night with chuck the security guard and all that sort of yeah. stuff and it was wonderful to do that and everybody from christopher to uh rick the temp had their own vibe and their own thing and yeah. i had my own vibe and my own thing which was music you know and uh so i basically did what i did at show fm i did it and instead of having a microphone i and instead of having two turntables and a microphone i had two cameras and a microphone and i didn't do anything different i loved yeah. it and unfortunately there is nothing like it now that has yeah. the the balls that it had you know the yeah. the this to to grab it to grab it by the neck and dive without a net leap without a net and don't worry about where you're going to go because you're going to land and somebody's going to catch you and it's going to be okay and you have this common team working for a common goal for quite some time um when john martin left though i think the heart and soul you know when john martin and nancy left the heart and soul of the building left and it changed into something else not that it shouldn't have but it absolutely did yeah. um and i don't know if anything like that could be done now but um it seems like it couldn't be done but it could be done access tv is the closest thing to something like much music now mm. um but in terms of music television people don't put a lot of stock in it they they use they've been using music like uh you know like like mortar for bricks <laughs> you know music oh let's do a music festival let's do this let's do that and people forget the first time that i remember music being used for a cause was operation brad ba operation breadbasket around late 60s mid 60s like 68 69 that was um that was uh fueled by jesse jackson cannonball adderley uh -huh. and his quintet and joe zawano who wrote mercy mercy and was a member of cannonball adderley's quintet uh and later weather report which gave you birdland and all that stuff he had written a song called, called country preacher and the album was called country preacher and uh, that was about jesse jackson and that was the first time i remember music being used for a cause yeah you know and so that's where it began in my neighborhood or in my neck of the woods or chicago cleveland and black america and so music but music was also used in the civil rights movement to keep people going and stuff like that so music has always been there i think but we actually put it out we put canadian music out there we didn't compare it with the rest of the world. We put it on its own pedestal and its own platform. And uh, we were very important, I think, to what has become Canadian music from everything from Drake to Celine to 
you name it. We had some sort of part either in inspiring it, showing it, putting a name and a face to it, honoring it, praising it, and loving it just because it was ours. Michael, it has been an honor having yes. you on. I cannot wait for the book to come out to have you on here again, but I can't wait until less than a month from now, September the 22nd. 22nd, it starts in Toronto. In Toronto. Uh, Greg and I will be there. Um, okay. And we're going to come up to you and uh, grab a photo and sure. some more if you've got the time. Well, all right. And I'll end this with, uh, this is a buddy of mine, A-Train Boynton. He, uh, this is one of the tracks from my box set that's coming out. It's sort of like stuff that I've worked on, stuff that I've had something to do with, stuff that I've touched, goosed, and, and stuff that I just love from friends. And yeah. this takes me back because um, the, I started not in, well, I started in Montreal, but the first place that I got paid to do any music work other than DJing was in Vancouver at oh. a place called Quintessence Records. And there were bands like the Paolas and the Pointed oh, yeah. Sticks. I was the Pointed Sticks road manager, tour manager. And uh, I worked the album Perfect Youth, but I also worked everything else that was there. And one of the bands that was there was the Paolas. A-Train Boynton was their final bass player, I think, in the Paolas. He did a cover. I think you'll know it.
That was awesome. honestly, honestly, there's like we we have to do part two or or the book when the book comes out or whatever. Sure. Like, like when you were oh, talking, stuff I'm thinking about is like my last show I actually ever played like professionally live was with Cree uh, Summers up at the top of X Rays. Uh, okay. We've had Satan previously. Uh, mm. I don't know if Jive was at shown back when you. Anyway, I just like yeah, 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 yeah. I have so many questions. But we'll save it for <laughs> well, it'll uh, sure, man. I mean, because there's a lot of the most people thought I was just this weird sort of, that I was an alien, which I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll claim that I, I, I am an alien. Um, and so they kind of treated me as such, you know, they, where did this guy come from? What's he talking about? Like whatever. And then eventually it all made sense. And the ones that figured it out, um, I've been touring, uh, Western Canada for like about the last five, six years, seven years. And, uh, I go out and I host festivals out there. I have my own festival in Slocan that I curate, yeah. uh, called the Slocan International Music and Art Festival in june it begins the festival season out there and everybody has been so incredibly wonderful and nice and kind and big fans of music more so than what radio allows them to hear and so i want to do something now to service those folks who are the music fans and the reason why i don't release music under my name or the names of the people that i work with i let them do that but i don't want to compete I want the music to go to people that'll enjoy it and mm -hmm. want to hear it because I did it, you yeah. know, or ha I had something to do with it. So uh, it's a different, it's a whole different thing for me. And uh, it's, uh, it's time to uh, now with the film and stuff like that, it's kind of time to get back to work and to do some music things that aren't being done and haven't been done since I stopped doing them. So, but now we get to do them in a different way, in a different space, in a different time. And um, the internet was foretold. I knew all, all about all of this stuff a long time ago, but now it's at the point where 
this, I have a gimbal, this is on a gimbal and, you know, and the software lets me move around and all that sort of stuff. And so you have a lot more control has the individual. And uh, that's what I loved about people always say, what was your favorite job? Much music must have been your favorite job. I went, no, it wasn't. My favorite job was working at Show FM and CKGM. Why? It was just me. It was all me. It was me controlling everything. What you heard, how you heard it, all the effects. I was a DJ. I was I was everything. So uh, it was it would literally be spontaneous combustion. And so uh, and if I go out and DJ, that's kind of like that's more the way that it is. So you never know what you're going to hear. Uh, so I think the radio should have that, too. And it doesn't. So we're going to try and, you know, bring that back and let people hear some things that they should hear. You know, some of the rock and roll that made rock and roll classic, some of the music that you're just not going to hear. Uh, and if you never heard a great song, well, how can you write one? <laughs> oh, exactly. so we're more interested in the, the songwriters the people learning how to play the music properly from the people who created the music the respect for the music and spreading it so that um everybody wants to you know everybody wants to be a part of it um and uh that's it you know that's it we'll be we do more of the same man we do awesome, more of the man. same well, thank Michael, you very much fellas yes, thanks for your you, time have a great no evening Enjoy the rest of summer. We'll see you in a month. Yeah, man. In about All a right. month. Okay. Thank right, you. Buddy. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Right. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers.